Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Sunday service. So nice to see so many friends here. And I want to congratulate you all on once again navigating past Daylight Savings Time. (laughs) Here we all are. And those who did not make it. (laughs) Fortunately, the Sunday service is taped. So our topic this morning from Race of the One Life by Swamiji is Reason versus Intuition. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus, when addressing his critics, appealed to their reason and common sense. In his training of the disciples, however, he, like all great masters, encouraged them in the development of a higher faculty, soul intuition. For it is only by intuition that spiritual perceptions are achieved. In chapter 16 of the Gospel of St. Matthew, we find Jesus drawing on the intuition of his disciples by asking them who they thought he was in reality. They immediately understood that what he wanted from them was a subtle answer, not some obvious reply based on his nationality, sex, and the like. Peter it was at last who understood and answered the question on its intended level, the spiritual. Quote, Thou art the Christ, he said, the Son of the living God. And Jesus turned to him, saying, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for not by human nature was this truth revealed to thee, but by my heavenly Father. And I tell thee this also, Thou art Peter, which is to say, a rock. And upon this rock will I build my church, and never will the powers of darkness overwhelm it. Jesus was pleased with his disciple for relating to the question on its deepest level. Reason could not have given Peter that answer. The answer came through the faculty of soul intuition, and thereby proved to be proved him to be a spiritually advanced disciple. It was his intuitive perception, that insight which cannot be shaken by tempests of reasonable doubt, that Jesus praised in referring to him as a rock. The church he referred to next was the edifice of cosmic consciousness. Any outer church church institution would have to depend, as in fact the Christian churches have always done, on the level of understanding of its individual leaders and members. Peter's intuitive perceptions could never have been passed on to an outward succession of prelates. Clarity comes by direct soul perception. Confusion results from excessive dependence on reason 
as a guide to understanding. As the second chapter, the Bhagavad Gita states, when your intellect, at present confused by the diversity of teachings in the scriptures, becomes steadfast in the ecstasy of deep meditation, then you will achieve final union with God. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. begin by reading from Master's Prayer Poems or Prayer Demands. This is on intuition. Demand, I better, this small print. Got smaller since last year. Yeah. (laughs) You know, there's a strange phenomenon going on. I think it's global warming. (laughs) The print size is shrinking and the hills are getting steeper. Demand for the rising of the aurora of intuition. Infinite spirit, thy presence is hidden equally behind the warm rays of the sun and the cool light of the moon. Those lights, though welcome and wonderful, reveal only Mother Nature's splendor in nature. They reveal not thee to me. To me they are therefore darkness. Thy all-revealing, majestic, and supreme light shines not on, but from within, the center of everything, therefore creating no shadows. Shadows in this world reduce light itself to non-light. In theory... I have known this. Now, Lord, take all darkness away from me. Wherever I sit with my eyes shut and closed in my own darkness, cause to blaze upon me in glory the aurora of intuition that suffused in its light, I may gaze raptly on thee with worshiping eyes. I want to read, in order to set the context, a little bit more of the passage that uh, Swamiji quoted from the Bible, because it's very interesting. Just to set it in context, this took place when Jesus was in Galilee, and he was moving around with his disciples, and he was doing a lot of the miracles that we associate with him. And he just created Uh, the miracle of the loaves and fishes and some other many healing miracles. And then he wanted to withdraw a little bit from the crowds. So he and his disciples went a little higher up into the hills around Galilee. And it was at that time that this passage takes place. And when Jesus came unto the coast of Caesarea, 
Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered, saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Peter, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. So that gives a little more context to this. Because what we're really talking about here is not just a scene and not just Jesus talking to his disciples. That, of course, is true on one level. But he's talking about consciousness here. And he's talking about intuition. So he's saying, what do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? That's the world of matter, the world of reason, and the world of the senses. And Swamiji said that when we deal in that realm, We never come up with anything fresh and new because at best we can do is relate this to that and that to this and maybe combine some things together and we might have a new iteration but we don't have fresh insights. So he's saying, who who do men say I am? Who, Who does the world of reason, of matter say that I am? And they say, well, you're John the Baptist, or you're Jeremiah, or you're one of the ancient prophets. Even that's interesting because it implies reincarnation. You know, so who am I? Not who am I like, but who am I? And so that's implying reincarnation. These deeper teachings are sprinkled all the way through the Bible, but we don't necessarily know them or perceive them, but skipping beyond that, within that realm of reason, then he says, but who do you say that I am? Because he's saying to the disciples, don't just, don't just relate to what everybody else is saying. What, what do you, from inside your own self, what do you say? And I suppose a movie director would have the disciples kind of scratching their head and looking up and musing. I don't think that's the way that it took place. Because intuition, which is the answer to this, comes in a flash. It doesn't come by musing and thinking things through. So I think that Peter said, thou art the Christ. And Jesus says, thou hast perceived this not by reason, but by intuition. And on intuition will I build my church, not on reason. And so, and to thee I give the keys to the kingdom of heaven, to, the, in, to that person 
able to perceive through intuition, you have the keys to not only the kingdom of heaven, the subtler realms, but what you bind on earth, bind in the realm of matter, shall be bound in heaven because through intuition, through the higher consciousness, everything is related. But if you work with intuition, whatever you do in the world of matter is bound or is is realized. Whereas if you if you don't work with intuition, if you don't work with higher power, then what you do is not necessarily in tune. Master talked about a spectrum of consciousness, and this is very interesting and very helpful to understand the intuition and understand consciousness as a whole. He said that first there's cosmic consciousness. So that is God's consciousness beyond creation. That's It's been described to us as Satchitananda, existence, consciousness, and bliss combined. But uh, Lahiri Mahashaya said, then God took a little portion of that cosmic consciousness and produced, made it dynamic or produced duality. And from that, vibration is reproduced or, or manifested the physical universe that we find ourselves in. So you have cosmic consciousness and then in matter, once matter is created, then that consciousness that's in matter is Christ consciousness. And so behind everything is the consciousness of God. You know, the scientists work from the outside in in trying to understand truth and understand the reality of creation. And so they're working with huge, uh, probably the most expensive science project ever undertaken, this huge atom collider in Switzerland that's like miles around. And they try to get uh, particles, electrons or atoms, going very close to the speed of light going around in different directions and they smash them together and out of that enormous energy that's produced comes a lot of different kinds of energies and then they look at the traces of that energy and they say oh here are the subatomic particles and they're trying to discover all those subatomic particles but it's from the outside in it's from matter relationship trying to understand it so you have the atom and then you have electrons and you have protons and you have all kinds of other subatomic particles. But from outside in you'll never understand because the essence of consciousness is in everything. So let's say that the ultimate subatomic particle is not an electron or a proton, it's a dreamton. It's the consciousness of God in that that's creating everything. And so, but that dream ton doesn't give off expressions in physical matter because it's subtler than that. It's behind that. So here again, we'll return to this kind of spectrum of consciousness that Master's talking about. So now instead of 
seeing it just as words, see it kind of as a sea of energy that's getting less and less subtle. So first you have cosmic energy, vast, in fact, infinite, beyond. You can't even call it infinite because it's beyond finitude, finitude. So it's, it predates something that you could call infinite. Then it comes into creation. Cosmic energy becomes Christ consciousness. And that's the dream tons in all of matter, behind everything. And then that cosmic or Christ consciousness is expressed individually in our in all, all the individual aspects of creation. But when it comes to us, which is important, it's expressed in our soul. And Master says that is super consciousness. And so when we're in super consciousness, we are uh, working with the soul's understanding. And that is intuition. So intuition and super consciousness, we can say are the same thing. And that super consciousness automatically is in tune with and connected with the dream tons in everything, every particle in creation. And so, and it's connected with Christ consciousness and beyond with cosmic consciousness. So we come back and Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ meaning thou art he who functions in Christ consciousness, the Son of God. And so you, Jesus, are completely intuitive, completely super conscious. That's why what you bind on earth, you can say, be well, and people are well, because the power beyond uh, physical creation is imbued in your words you can say send these baskets of bread around and it'll feed everyone and if you say that that's what happens so what you bind on earth is bound in heaven in higher realms but that's because Jesus functioned from Christ consciousness and the soul's super conscious in the body the soul's super consciousness so then the next level down from that vibration Master called it subconsciousness. When I read that, I kind of scratched my head because we think of subconsciousness. Then then the next level down from that is normal waking consciousness. Well, we have it reversed. We think of subconsciousness as being kind of a dark subset of our normal waking consciousness. But he put it this way, and it's more understandable that, that down from pure superconsciousness comes kind of imagination and dreaming and memory. So the function of the, the consciousness has now stepped down in vibration. And it's kind of in our individual imagining. But in dreams and in imagination and in that realm, we can create all kinds of things that we can't create on the physical level. And so, but he called that subconsciousness. And then he said, then when that consciousness becomes bound to the muscles and matter and 
the senses, then that's the normal waking consciousness that we have. Well, that waking consciousness is the realm of reason. But it's divorced from intuition, which sees behind everything. And therefore, all it can do in a certain sense is kind of rearrange the pieces of, of matter and try to come up with some new kind of uh, invention or new kind of discovery or new kind of philosophy. But intuition is not using reason. It's using direct perception. And so that direct perception is how we're going to become unified with God again. Not through reason, because reason is too far descended and we can't think our way to God consciousness. And therefore, where are we? We're, we're stuck in this world. We have the power of reason. It's one of the, one of the tools, in fact, probably the most used tool in our tool belt. But if, if the hammer can't handle, can't do anything except pound the nail, and what we're trying to do with that hammer is create computer circuits, we got the wrong tool. And so if reason can only rearrange things that have descended into sense consciousness and matter consciousness, then it's the wrong tool to get us back up to super consciousness and to uh, Christ consciousness. And so are we stuck? Well, we are in a certain sense because we're never going to think our way out of this dilemma because reason and thinking is the wrong tool. And so how do we get out of this dilemma? Well, we have to get back. See, we already are made up of these dream tons. We already are functioning. Our soul is already functioning in super consciousness. But the soul, once it identifies with matter and, and, um, and sensory consciousness, once it makes that identification or that hypnotism, then it can't get back out. So we have to awaken. So divine perception comes from awakening, not by reasoning or thinking our way out of this. Well, just to finish what Master said on this spectrum of consciousness, he said, so then normal waking consciousness uh, let's call it matter-engaged consciousness. Matter-engaged consciousness, if it uses its reason in order to do something harmful to ourself or to others, then that's evil. And if it uses that matter-engaged consciousness to help ourselves or help others, then it's spiritual. And he actually drew that that distinction between what's evil or or darkening and what's enlightening and so if we help others if we help ourselves if we follow the rules of the universe then we begin to reverse he said this stream of consciousness spirituality is swimming back upstream not not descending farther down and so the spiritual search is swimming back upstream. And so where does Patanjali start? 
he begins with the laws of behavior so that we can attune ourselves in matter consciousness, in matter engaged consciousness, to using that in the proper way. And so he gives us the yamas and the niyamas. Here's what you do. In Judeo-Christianity, we begin with the Ten Commandments. Here's the way you act in this world. Well, that, that not only helps us produce a better society, produce a happier life, produce uh, nicer relationships and all of that, but it begins the process of swimming back upstream to subtler levels of consciousness. And so we want to get back up to our own reality. That's why uh, Master called it self-realization. Didn't call it God-realization. Called it self-realization because in the intuitive state, we're going to realize who we really are, who the self really is, the soul. And the soul's function is with intuition. So let's talk just a little bit about what we can do in order to awaken our intuition. First of all, intuition is based much more on feeling than it is on reason. We've kind of gone through that. So Peter didn't have to think through what are all the possibilities. Jesus is John the Baptist? No. (laughs) Jeremiah? No. Uh, he didn't have to think through all of that. He just felt oh, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ. And, well, of course, he just perceived it. So, so what we want to do is we want to get away in meditation from just reasoning and just the mind endlessly going here and hither and yon back into the calmness of feeling. So generally speaking, women who are more attuned to, to, and this is very general, more attuned to uh, feeling nature are more intuitive. But in order to be intuitive, you can't have those feelings muddied by likes and dislikes, by emotions. And so if they're muddied, then that takes away from Intuition. So Patanjali again says, if you neutralize those vibrations of likes and dislikes, yogas chitra vritti narod, if you neutralize the vibrations or the whirlpools of feeling, primordial feeling, Master called it, if you can neutralize that and have it calm, then automatically. You perceive your own self, your own higher self. Automatically you go then from the realm of matter consciousness, matter engaged consciousness, to soul consciousness. You go from reason to intuition. But it takes calming the feelings and calming the mind. And so then the masters come along and they say, well, here's the problem, is that you're functioning at a vibrational level that you can't achieve realization of who you are. And so in order to do that, you have to calm the mind and you have to calm the emotions. 
And here are the techniques in order to do that. I'm going to give you some breathing techniques. I'm going to give you some concentration techniques. I'm going to give you the path of yoga, and especially for us, the path of Kriya Yoga. And all of that is meant to withdraw. Remember, it's all consciousness and all energy. So pranayama and the path of yoga is meant to withdraw your consciousness from going farther out and into more connection with matter and sensory consciousness. We're going to disengage from matter consciousness because matter consciousness breaks things apart. We're trying to find unity. And so in that quest for unity, the beginning of it is to disengage from having too much of our energy go out to connecting us with matter consciousness and also too much of our energy going out with moving parts of that around mentally, which is the reason process. And so we need to disengage from that. And the mind, which is caught up in reasoning and our habit patterns which are caught up in restlessness, they can't think our way out of it. And so the sitting down and trying to think your way out of delusion, the mind is already in delusion that's going to try to think your way out. And so we need to disengage. Swami worked with me on this specifically. He occasionally said, in words to the effect of Jyotish, you're too reasonable. <laughs> and dull as I was, caught up in reason consciousness, I thought of that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> and so he said, you need to become more intuitive. And so when I began painting, he encouraged that. Not because of anything outward, but because painting, and especially for me, was much more a process of feeling and intuition than it was of reason. And so with a math problem or a crossword puzzle, you use your reason, you associate the clues and other things, and you come up with the solution. In painting, it's like a lot of little puzzles but there's no reasonable solution to those puzzles, at least the way I paint. It comes from feeling. And so you feel what's supposed to happen. And I'll give you a specific example. One of the paintings that many, many people are familiar with is with the ocean and Swami and Master are holding hands and looking out on the ocean. And that was entirely by feeling. First I painted the ocean and that's what I thought I was painting. And so I had the beach and I had the wave and I had the horizon and I had the nice sunset. And I looked at it and it didn't feel complete, didn't feel right. And so I can kind of go back and reproduce, but I think intuitively what I was saying is what is trying to be conveyed What is the feeling of what's trying to be conveyed and what's missing in this picture? And it was consciousness 
in it because just the wave and the sunset and the sand and the ocean was didn't have consciousness in it so it was it needed the consciousness aspect and so i thought well let me put master in there and so feeling had me put master in there but then it still didn't feel complete when i i mean i hadn't painted it yet but i'd come up with the feeling to put master in and that didn't feel complete either because there should be not just consciousness but consciousness relating and so i had master and swami and master holding hand with swami and then that feeling drove that second part of the painting and it became what what it is you know and got translated there but that's why swami was encouraging me and why i will pass on to encourage all of you to do things that get you out of your mind out of reason consciousness don't take your very reasonable to be a compliment take it to be a challenge to get out of being locked into that and so get out of your mind and the best way to do that is by withdrawing the prana and by remember master had this kind of descending stream of consciousness in meditation feel that you're ascending that stream and that actually takes place in the spine so as the prana comes into the spine from outside in matter consciousness comes into the spine and begins to go up it leaves the consciousness of reason and especially as our minds get still as all those associations those reasonable associations and worries and anxieties all of that as that becomes stilled then that upward flow of consciousness can happen and the center of intuition is partly in the heart but it's the heart's energy feeling energy chitwa brought up and connected with the spiritual eye and so in meditation we're trying to bring that energy up to the spiritual eye and hold it there and this is the center of christ consciousness of super consciousness of pure intuition and when we can hold our energy completely there we too will be able to say the answer to everything the experience of the answer comes immediately oh thou art the christ oh that's master in one of his great ecstasies just started chuckling because he was seeing how creation was manifested and unmanifested started chuckling and said oh that's how you do it that's how you do it he could never think his way there but perceive that intuition perceives that one time ananda moi ma some pundits asked her a question she was illiterate she couldn't read or write she signed her name by putting a little dot on the paper some pundit asked her a question about i think it was about a particular kind of yagya or a um sacrificial thing with the mantras like a ceremony 
And she spontaneously started chanting Sanskrit mantras. And it went on for like 15 minutes. And she chanted all the mantras that they needed to know to them. That did not come from her thinking through anything. It came from pure intuition. So in that uplifted state, everything becomes understood. Everything becomes possible. Everything becomes available, most especially the realization of our connection with God. And so awakening our intuition needs to start with more feeling, less thinking, but calm feeling, not feeling that's engaged with likes and dislikes. And then that feeling nature uplifted and, and sent toward the spiritual eye and held there is the solution to it all. That's why we do every Sunday the purification. Open your heart to me and I will enter and take charge of your life. So if we open our heart, if we open our feeling nature, intuitive power, Christ consciousness, will enter and take charge of our life. And in that guidance, we will be guided to the right thing in everything.